Hey, this morning, let's uh, take, if you have a Bible, you could take your Bible and turn to John chapter 10. Uh, in the bulletin, I have listed uh, the scripture on the back. If you follow along with that, I, I really just want you to follow today uh, and look at those scriptures that I list there. Those are the ones I'll be using this morning as I am looking at this text today in John the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Before I do that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, this morning as I come before you, I thank you that we have the privilege to open up the Bible. We thank you, Lord, in it, we have the words of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that the Word of God tells us about who you are and what you've done and what you require of us. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would use the Word of God to um, communicate to the hearts of those who are here. And I pray, Lord, wherever they're at, whatever circumstances that are in their life, I pray, Lord, that today you would speak to them. And I ask you, Lord, they would respond to your Word and that they would follow you. And so we thank you, Lord, for what you'll do in Christ's name. Amen. In John chapter 10, I'm specifically looking at one verse, but the verses around it. In verse 9, I'll read that in a second. You know, since the Apollo space program began in our country, some of us remember when that happened, and now they've advanced quite a lot, and of course in that area now it's becoming privatized in, in many ways. But when they started sending uh, manned capsules into space, one of the most difficult parts of every mission was the re-entry process. The reason for the difficulty was that the spacecraft and its crew had only one door of opportunity to enter into the Earth's atmosphere. The pilot had to make sure that he was approaching that door at the right speed. He had to make sure that he was approaching that door at the right angle. If not, then they could burn up or bounce off the earth and wander in space with no way to return lost forever. That was really the plight of all uh, space exploration that was done in a capsule. But you know what? Likewise, for all those who will enter the kingdom of God, they have one door of opportunity. Look at verse number 9 of John chapter 10. The first verse in your bulletin on the back, it says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, this particular passage of Scripture has many things going on in it. But if I were to ask you this morning, are you part of Christ's church? Do you know if you will enter into the kingdom of God? How would you answer that? Would it be an emphatic yes or a reluctant no? Or maybe 
You have never been asked the question. In our moral ministry, uh, when you ask those kind of questions, most people today have never been asked it. And so it's a new thing for many people because it seems like in every reference, every point in society, that people aren't bringing those questions up. They're not bringing questions of eternity up or questions how to be made right with God up or questions of anything like that. And so people are ignorant of the fact um, that someday will, they will die, but they will go somewhere. See, what I'm asking is, did you enter if the answer was yet, yes or no, or I don't know. See, did you enter, or have you entered, or will you enter through this one entry point that the Bible's talking about? If you don't enter through this entry point, then you'll not enter the kingdom of God. See, if, if you didn't, then you're not, you're not part of Christ's church, if you don't, then you are not entering the kingdom of God, which was purchased really by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in verse number 7 of the Gospel of John, it says, So Jesus said to them again, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Of course, what I am speaking of here is that Jesus is the door. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who one must come to to have eternal life. He is the one that someone must go through to enter the kingdom of heaven. He is the one who someone must go through to enter the sheepfold, the true sheepfold in which Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. Now, the problem is that some have tried to enter Christ's true church. They have tried to enter the kingdom of God through different entry points. For example... There are those who believe that they have gained entrance or admission into the church because they were baptized. Some have, some have been sprinkled, some have been poured upon, some have been dipped, others have been immersed, some were infants, some were children, and others were adults. But the truth of the matter is, according to Scripture, it doesn't matter if they were sprinkled, poured, or dipped, or immersed, if they have never come to Christ by true faith, they are nothing better than baptized heathens, and they are still in their sin. You are not saved by baptism. The door is not baptism, but the door is Christ. So you see, if you trust in Christ alone, who is God's great way of salvation, he is the entryway into the true church of God. Then there are those who take another entry point into the church, and that's through their parents. And what I mean by that is that because by, or by way of birthright, a basic right that somebody has or thought to be entitled to from birth, either property or money, or somebody feels entitled because he belongs to a certain fa family. See, it's a great privilege, in other words, to have a Christian parent, or a religious parent, if I may say it that way, but to grow up in a Christian home and to attend a Christian church does not mean admission into Christ's true church. 
it is of course of great advantage because we have access to the truth of God's word but with this privilege there's also great responsibility you must use it rightly if not this great blessing could become a curse you see being born into a family of a long or a short line of saints does not guarantee anyone's salvation for it says in the word of God Jesus says unto them truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God he cannot enter the kingdom of God see so the goal of all Christians should be to glorify God and under the that overarching goal the aim of parenting is to be a faithful instrument in God's hand for the activity of bringing up a child according to biblical principles because every child is born a sinner and instinctively a sinner who's going to follow their own depravity so the task of a parent is not easy but God has left us with instruction, and that instruction is, of course, found in the Word of God. He's left us with the church of believers, and so the Bible does tell us, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If the goal of parenting, then, is to be faithful to bring up one's children according to biblical principles, then there are... Actually, there are no guarantees of the outcome. The answer is, because a child's response is not necessarily the measure of, a, of biblical parenting. A godly example and good training cannot ensure conversion. Therefore, just as by God's grace, an ungodly parent may be blessed with a God-fearing child, a godly person is not guaranteed by their efforts that the Lord will save any of their children, although when the grace of God does enter someone's home, the possibilities of salvation of their children are heightened because God's word is there and God's word is powerful. And when the word of God is faithfully not only spoken in the, in the, the home and lived out in the home, it has a powerful effect upon the children. So the parents' duty before the Lord is to be faithful to their instruction to raise their children in the manner of the Lord and of course the results are determined by God himself the bottom line then is this you must be born again yourselves you cannot depend on your parents to get into the kingdom of God you can't depend upon anyone else to get into the kingdom of God. You have no right of entry into Christ's true church except as by your own personal and individual faith you come to Christ. It is not your mother or father that can be the door to Christ's church. No, that can never be. It must be Christ who is the door and everyone individually must come through him. Jesus says that I am the door in verse number 9. If anyone enters through me, it must be through Christ. It cannot be through parents or some kind of birthright. Or you have some pastor in your family 
or you have some other Christian in your family that you're somehow depending on because they're praying for you that you have automatic entry into the kingdom of God. You don't. And then there is another entry point that people use and depend upon, and that's profession. They make a profession of faith. They can confess Christ at one time in their life. So here's one that is also uh, common today. Just that just because someone makes a profession of faith, signs a card, raises their hand, goes for, forward in an evangelistic meeting, that they are part of Christ's true, true church. See, mere profession cannot prove a genuine Christian. The willingness for you to say, I profess this or I confess that, no more will make you a Christian than for someone to stand in their garage and proclaim themselves a car. There must be true repentance and true believing, and a person must bear fruit once they do so. They must come to the Lord and through Him. See, the person who makes a profession of having it when he has it not is in great danger. That's why it says in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good, good deed. So this passage in Titus simply says these kind of people claim to know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They just have Christ added on to everything else they're doing, and they try to say, well, I got every, all the avenues covered. And see, they just deceive themselves because that's not how you enter the kingdom of God. And then there are those who think that because they are members of a visible church that they are in, and if they have trusted the external organization to help them feel secure, they are just deceiving themselves also, because if they have passed by the door of, the, of living faith in Christ, and they tried to get in without being a believer in Jesus Christ, well then, Christ will say to them, a thief and a robber, because they try to get in some other way without coming by the door of Jesus Christ. And then there's another entry point that people have used today to uh, think that they are in the kingdom of God or are some way uh, God is pleased with them. And that is the thing that is called moralism. Now, moralism has been around for a long, long time. But today, there seems to be a rise in this thing about moralism. See, moralism, the basic structure of moralism comes down to this, a belief that the gospel can be reduced down to improvements in behavior. Far too often, believers and Churches succumb to the logic of moralism and reduce the gospel to a message of moral improvement. In other words, we communicate to lost persons the message that what God desires for them and demands of them is to get their lives straight. That's actually a false gospel. It was Paul who said to the Galatian church, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. 
which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And this particular truth about moralism distorts the gospel of Christ. It was a, a man named, a novelist, actually, Farrell Sams, who writes about his own childhood in rural Georgia. And this is what he says. He describes the deeply ingrained tradition of being raised right. He explains the child who is raised right pleases his parents or other adults by, inher- by, by actually adhering to moral conventions and some etiquette. A young person who is raised right emerges as an adult who obeys laws, respects neighbors, gives at least lip service to religious expectation, and stays away from scandal. See, the point is clear. This is what parents expect. This is what the culture affirms, and many churches celebrate. But our communities, he said this, are filled with people who have been raised right, but are heading to hell. Because they're depending on their moralism. In other words, they're depending on their goodness. That I'm a good person. And that's what they depend on. For somehow they think the standard of getting into the kingdom of God, the standard of getting into heaven is through them being good. Well, if you could be that good, then why would Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, have to die on a cross for our sins if we could be that good? He could have stayed in heaven. See, the point is, is that we could never be that good. In in Scripture, the Bible says there is none good. Not even one person is good. I looked on all of humanity, and God finds nobody who's good. All fall short of the glory of God. All don't understand. All don't seek after the God of the Bible, the God of creation. They seek after a God, but not the God of the Bible. See, most moralists would not claim to be without sin. They would claim to be without scandal. That they make it through life. People looking at them saying, you know, I, I, that's a pretty good person. I really like that person. And they, they somehow think that they're riding into heaven on that. See, the essence of moralism is the belief that we can achieve righteousness by means of proper behavior. And theologically, the wrong assumption that what God expects of fallen humanity is moral improvement. It's good for parents, don't get me wrong, to rightly teach their children to obey moral instruction. That the church also bears the responsibility to teach their uh, teach moral commands of God and to bear witness to the larger society of what God has declared to be right and good in, within, amongst human creatures. We have human government, but human government is there to res- restrain sin, to hold it back, right? And then to punish those who do evil. See, but these impulses, right and necessary as they are, are not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot enter through that you'll bounce off. Indeed, one of the most insidious false gospel is moralism. Because it promises 
the favor of God and the satisfaction of God's righteousness to sinners without believing in Christ. As long as you are morally improving, you're fine. So to the moralist, the Bible is simply a code book of human behavior. And also to the moralist, the moral instruction uh, is replaced, really replaces the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul does have a corrective to that right here in your bulletin. In Galatians chapter 2, notice what he says. He's, he has a corrective to moralism that comes directly from Scripture. He says, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. And then he says this, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. So moralism makes sense to sinners. Because it's, it's an expansion of what they have been taught from the earliest days. But moralism is not the gospel. It will not save. It will not save at all. So, the only thing that saves is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, in your bulletin, verse 4, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a, vo a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. So see, we are justified by faith alone, saved by grace alone, and redeemed from our sins by Christ alone. Moralism produces sinners who are potentially better behaved. The gospel of Jesus Christ transforms sinners into the adopted, adopted sons and daughters of God. See, when someone comes to Christ and they receive the Lord Jesus Christ, they get the Spirit of God in their life and God transforms them. This, that's not moralism. That is God's powerful transformation transformation process by using the word of God to make you into the image of Christ. So, it is the law that shows us we are sinners. The law makes sure and makes clear, clear our inadequacies, our lack of righteousness before God. And the law was given by God not to save. In fact, the law cannot produce life. It cannot impart life to anyone. That's why, again, in Galatians 3.24, Paul said, Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may, we may be justified by faith. Everywhere you look in Scripture, the doorway, Jesus Christ, you must come to Him. No matter where you look, you must Come to Christ to enter the kingdom of God. You must come to Christ to be saved, to be forgiven, to be made right with God. There is no other way. Every other way is a false way. See, hell will be highly populated by those who were raised right. The citizens of heaven will be those who, by the sheer grace and mercy of God, 
are those solely because of the imputed righteousness of Christ will be accepted into the kingdom of God. So moralism is not the gospel. It's also not the proper entryway into the kingdom of God. So all these things I mentioned just reveal that people want to be part of the church of Jesus Christ, but because of the way they choose to enter, not by the door, but by another way, they cannot gain entry. See, the passage indicates illegitimacy of the way that they tried to enter the church. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse number 1, again, the Lord brings up, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door. Now, get the illustration here. Get the, what the Lord's saying here in this story. Here's a shepherd. Remember, we don't have sheep hanging around us in, in our area. We have a lot of deer, but not sheep. Right? But if you go into the Middle East, you'll find everywhere flocks of deer. I mean, flocks of sheep. See, I'm from New Jersey, all right? But it's interesting, even in the middle of a highway, a four-lane highway, here's a shepherd with his staff and his, his, his sheep, and everybody stops. Nobody messes with that. But the, sheep, the shepherd leads the sheep, and the sheep follow him right into, it's usually just a stone pen, four walls, and then there's a little entryway, and the shepherd stands right there with his staff, and all the sheep enter just through one way. There's not many ways, because sheep are stupid, honestly. And sheep are humans, in, in a sense. We're, we're not smart spiritually. We have to be led. We have to be taught. We have to be guided. We, but the thing is that there's too many shepherds out there that are saying, Come this way and be right with God. Don't listen to that. That's not true. Come over here. Come over here. Come over here. And there's many ways, and yet Jesus, the true shepherd, say, no, if you don't enter by this door, he says in verse number 1 of John 10, the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way. He is a thief and a robber. So you can't get in. In other words, you're not legitimate. You are going to be cast out of that sheepfold because you don't belong there. The only way you can get in is that you've got to go past the shepherd. So my friend, candidates for Christ's true church must make a credible profession of their faith and that they, that they have entered by the door of Jesus Christ and him alone. It does not matter if you have a baptism, a membership, certificate in your hand if you have not christ the only thing they are good for is the place on the bottom of your birdcage or your wastebasket the only way you get into the real living church of christ is by coming to christ who himself is the door by simple faith and dependence upon jesus christ yes the any other system is delusional. Convincing yourself that you are a believer when you are not is devastating. And people do that all the time. They deceive themselves. In fact, there's a couple examples in Scripture. And I listed them in your bulletin. And they're 
both found in 1 John. If you look at 1 John chapter 2, you'll find that if someone enters by Christ the door, then this faith for sure leads to obedience. In fact, in fact, when the gospel message goes out, and the gospel message being that Jesus Christ died for sinners, he paid the price for those who would believe in him, he went to the grave, he rose from the grave, and he defeated Satan in death. And all who believe in him will have eternal life. See, when someone believes that and follows Christ and becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ, then they lead an obedient life. They, they learn to love God like they never learned to love him before. So there's two different people in this passage of Scripture in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 4, the first individual, it says is an individual who makes a profession that he knows God with no proof of obedience. And it says this in verse 4 of chapter 2 of 1 John. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So here's a person who says, yeah, I believe. I believe all that. They affirm it. They're a fan of it, right, Paul? They're a fan of the truth, but they're just not real believers. See, here the claim is a person who claims to know God, claims to be united to God. Their religious profession is if you were to ask them, do you have a relationship with God? They would answer, yes, I pray, I go to church, I believe, I do the visible things I think are obedience. See, I'm, I, I was baptized, or I'm grew up in a Christian home, or I always knew the Bible, or I'm a member of a local church, or I live right. I'm a good person. So here's the problem, though. They're living a disobedient life, a sinful life, while claiming to know God, that their claim is contradictory to the course of their conduct. They claim to know God while obeying, not obeying his commands. And the gospel is a command. The Lord is saying, come to me. Command. It's an imperative. Come through this door. It's a command. So, there's surely a contradiction between claim and conduct. Saying and not keeping. A person's conduct makes his claim bogus. In fact, the scripture's evaluation of this person in verse number four, two things. The first thing, such a person is a liar. They're making a claim with, which deep within they know most likely is false. All right, They are lying to themselves. Self-deception is maybe the greatest deception there is. And then a second thing it says about this person, the truth is not in them. God revealed truth. It's not present in the person. So this morning, you have to look at yourself. You have to examine yourself. You have to see if you are lying to yourself about your obedience, about your claim that you are Christian, about your claim that you are going to die and go to heaven, about your claim that somehow God is going to accept you into his, his kingdom. See, you have to evaluate that. You have to examine that by the word of God. So see, don't lie to yourself, in other words. Don't deceive yourself. 
Because you know what? The most important question that you could be ever asked by anybody is if you were to die today, stand before God, and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What are you going to tell them? You were baptized? You attended a church? You were a good person? You grew up in a Christian home? You didn't cheat on your taxes? You're a good husband, a good wife, you're a good child? What are you going to tell them? None of those answers are adequate. You understand? If you tell them that you've entered into the sheepfold through Jesus Christ, who died in your place as a substitute, who took the condemnation of all your sin, who defeated Satan and death and rose from the grave to give you eternal life, then that's the answer. That's the only answer. But see, that answer has to be backed up by a life that you're following Christ, not by a profession that you believe those things. You checked off the boxes. I believe all those things. But your lifestyle doesn't match obedience to Christ. That's what he's talking about here. If that, those two things gonna get, don't go together, then you're a liar. You're lying to yourself. A lot of people lie to themselves. A second individual found in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 5, this individual makes no boast that he knows God, but has proof of obedience. Notice what it says in verse 5, but whoever keeps his word... In him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. So, so here, by contrast, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. See, these words speak of the glorious outcome of obedience, that it is assumed that this individual has declared himself a believer, but the crucial concern, whether he is habitually keeping his word, is the point. The designation is broader than he his just keep his commandments. His concern here is that he is obedient to the Lord and he is obedient to the point he's loving God. Verse number 5, it says, also the result, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. See, the assured result is this, the love of God may be taken as God's love. God is the object and the reference of our love for God. Consequently, if a person loves God, that person seeks to please him. That person seeks to keep his commandment. So then the meaning is that in the habitual obedience, a believer loves God. He has been, the love of God has been perfected in him. In other words, he has attained its goal objectively, which is obedience to all of God's word, leading to a deep, full-orbed acquaintance with God's love. And isn't really, why are we saved anyway? We're saved to worship God. We're saved to love God. That's why we're saved. So how can you know that you you know God. How can you be sure that you belong to him? See, therefore, the test for making sure that we belong to him is obedience to Christ. The ground for Christian assurance is obedience to Christ. 
By this we know that we are in him. Obedience is a spiritual matter because it must be performed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, refusal to obey is rebellion against God himself. So, today, just think of it for a minute. Have you trusted Christ? Have you come in through the right entry point? If you have trusted Christ and have entered by the door, then you have come by God's appointed way and by the only way. Because it not only says that Jesus is the door in Scripture, it says that Jesus is the bread of life, that Jesus is the light, that Jesus is life, that he is the truth, that he is the way. It says all kinds of things about Jesus, but it's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. There's no other way that you can enter into the presence of God unless you come through the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, who paid the price in your behalf. But if you have not trusted Christ, it doesn't matter your reason. You remain in a state of unbelief. And the Word of God tells us in John chapter 3, verse 18, And he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's just another way of saying it. So I stand here this morning to preach to you about entering into the kingdom of God through the door, Jesus Christ. But if you merely walk up to the door, it is vain to look at the door unless you enter. I pray this morning that God would give you the grace to come. Especially if you have never desired to enter before. But please don't think you are safe from God's wrath if you have not entered by his appointed way. For Jesus says, I am the door if anyone enters through me. Now, let me just move on in verse number 9 of chapter 10 of John for this reason. Because if, if you proclaim that you have come through the door, then you enter into God's appointed means, then you can claim certain privileges in verse number 9. What's the first privilege in, in verse number 9 of chapter 10? It says simply this, For I am the door, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. You see that in verse number 9? He will be saved. All right? That's safety. He who enters in by the door shall be saved. Just like Noah and his family was kept safe from the destructive power of the great flooded waters, but he was not kept safe until he had passed through the door. And of course, God closed the door and sealed him in, and they were kept safe from anything that could injure them. So you see, the moment a poor sinner trusts in Christ, God shuts the door. So then, you understand what it means to come through the door? It means to give ourselves to 
Jesus, to depend on him, to rest in him, to trust him completely to save you from your sin, from, to save you from condemnation, so you don't bounce off the door and burn up. So you'll be saved. Second thing is that you'll go in and out in verse number 9. You'll have freedom. You know what? You have freedom when you come to Christ. When the truth makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Freedom. Because there is no longer condemnation to those who are in Christ. There is freedom to go into the Lord with holy boldness in prayer and speak to the Lord as a member of His family. To have a regular and a deep fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It also means that you are free from the bondage of your own sin. So you can now serve Christ without guilt. To get up every day of your life and say, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm in your family. Take care of me today. I'm going out into this hostile world. I'm going out in your name. Make me an instrument in your hands. Speak through me so I can tell people that you're the door and you're the only way. Give me victory over my remaining sin. Give me victory over my enemy who's against my soul. Give me victory over the allurements and amusements of the world. See, I, I can go in and out. I don't have to be afraid of even dying because the Lord has taken care of that for me. See, I can go in and out. I have freedom. I have safety. I'll be saved. And then there's a third thing. He says there, I will find pasture. Spiritual nourishment. All right, that the Word of God is the source of spiritual nourishment for the soul. A place of great instruction and comfort comes through the Bible, from the Word of God. It's God's Word to us, right? God's sheep want heavenly truth. No other food will satisfy them. So they come to the house of God through Christ, and they come for Christ, and they find a rich green pasture to satisfy their souls. It's like what David said in Psalm 23, that they will lay down beside green pastures, right? They'll be comforted by the truth of the Word of God. So wouldn't it be great today? Wouldn't it be great today if you were to enter... God's true church by the door of Jesus Christ. It would be great if that happened today. Because if it does, you're promised salvation. You're promised freedom. You're promised true nourishment of your soul that God gives to all born-again believers in the family of God. He nourishes us. He, the truth makes us free. We see God's plan we know what God is doing because he's revealed his plan in the word of God. And so we are satisfied with him. And we learn to love him. And our desire to obey him becomes greater every day. So if you have come through the door, Jesus Christ, and you are saved, rejoice. And be exceedingly glad that you have come in this manner. Amen? And if you haven't, please, today, talk to someone. We, we, we do want to invite you out to our Thanksgiving meal. Uh, we want you to come and eat. 
uh, all the trimmings of Thanksgiving. Uh, we've been doing this now for 28 years. And so, uh, you know, it's amazing today. Many people don't even have, in a sense, family coming together for Thanksgiving. They, everybody's going to restaurants. The restaurants are packed. Uh, nothing like a family meal coming together to have some good turkey, uh, all the trimmings, cranberry sauce, potatoes, and, of course, dessert. Got to have dessert, all right? And, uh, and God gave us all that. Good food is part of God's goodness to us on this earth, right? You know, it's, it's amazing. Food is not like, doesn't taste like sawdust. Food is good. You know what? That's the goodness of God. And what does it do? It goes through your system, but it nourishes your body to keep you healthy, somewhat healthy in this world where, you know, it's cursed and there's a lot of diseases and, and sin has uh, made this a uh, hostile place to live. We're all going to die. But when you die, where are you going? I pray that you know where you're going. And the only way you can get into the kingdom of God is through the door of Jesus Christ. Walk through that door today. Don't stand on the outside. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would use it in a manner that you would bring people to the place where they see themselves as a sinner, but they see themselves as a sinner in light of Christ being a Savior that can save them from their sin, that can save them from the condemnation that sin brings, and, Lord, that they can be rescued from your wrath. So, Lord, cause them to walk through the door of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, as they do that, I pray they would find salvation, they would find freedom, they would find nourishment in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for today. Even now, bless the food that we're going to partake of in just a short period of time. Lord, nourish and bless our bodies with it. Keep us healthy with it, Lord. But I pray that you would nourish and bless our souls with the word of God so we would know what the truth is and that we would not follow lies but follow you who, who is the truth, the way and the life. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.